Good day to you, and welcome to the podcast for the Union Street Meeting House. In this podcast, we will be sharing messages from our weekly worship services. Union Street Meeting House is a Christian ministry that introduces people of all ages to Jesus Christ and recalls those who once knew Him back into an intimate, vibrant, living relationship with Him. We are a house for Christian fellowship and personal growth. You are always welcome here at Union Street Meeting House. Let's go into this week's message right now. Today's message, entitled A Faith of Your Own, was originally recorded on October 31st, 2021 by Tim Parker. Enjoy the message. Hallelujah. Welcome. Good to see you. Amen. God is good. He desires that uh, none be lost. I think there are those who might teach differently, but I just don't believe it. Unfortunately, not all say yes. I hope today to encourage you that it's, that it's our duty and our job to, to use the gifts and the calling that we have to reach those who are lost. Open your Bibles to Matthew 17. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 17. And we're going to read starting in verse 14. Matthew 17, verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him. Falling on his knees before him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and he is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? In verse 20, And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Turn to Acts 9. Acts 9. Thank you for your word this morning, God. Hallelujah. I'm going to start in verse 36, Acts 9, 36. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Reminds me of some ladies here. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died, and when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydia was near Joppa... The disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them, and when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the the widows stood beside him, weeping 
and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while there, well, she was there with them. But Peter sent them all out, and he knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. He went in the room and he closed the door. And she came out alive. Turn over to Acts 20, just a few pages over. Acts 20, verse 7. I love this story because we know that pastors can be long-winded and we're in good company because Paul was long-winded. In Acts 20, and verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him. And after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak, and then he left. Verse 12, They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. Father, we thank you this morning for your word of life. We thank you, Lord God, that you desire life, Lord. And we praise you and give you glory for it, Lord. We pray that you'll speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, on how we may bring life to others and to our families and to our friends, Lord God. That, that you may help us understand that we're empowered and have authority in this place, in this kingdom that you have set up here, that you said your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord God. And we praise you for that. And Lord, we want to wake up as a church and realize who we are and whose we are and that we're children of God and we're not orphans and we're certainly not powerless. Lord, we may not understand it all in the, in the natural and we, and we don't even hardly understand it in the supernatural, Lord God, but you've made us different. Somehow when we are born again, Lord God, you have restored us. And as a restored people, Lord God, we have a call and a duty in our life. And Lord, I help you. I ask that you help us rise to that occasion, Lord, to not miss that appointment that we talked about last week, to be ready, to be on guard, to be ever ready. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning I want to focus on an Old Testament story of life. In fact, it's, it's about death and life. It's a story of faith, a story of highs and lows. A roller coaster story, probably like our life. Have you been on a roller coaster in your life at times? It has great times and not so great times. It has times of great blessing and times of great concern. It has times of life and it has times of death. We're, we none escape it. It's all part of what we walk through and what we do. And I don't understand it, but bad things happen to good people. And some people go through it worse than others. This story will share a little bit about faith, and I hope this morning that it encourages you. I don't mean to get heavy here. I prayed all week, Lord, would you, would you let me say something that would encourage people? 
Turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, it's the story of the Shunammite woman. It doesn't give her a name, it just calls her the Shunammite woman. I'd love to know her name. All these questions we say we're going to have when we get to heaven, Pastor Bill says, no, you're not. You're going to fall on your knees before the Lord and you're just going to worship and praise. Amen. But a little later on, when we relax a little, I would like to ask him, what's this woman's name? <laughs> Second Kings chapter 4, in verse, we'll start in verse 8. Hallelujah. And just reading 8 through 10. Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. Now keep in mind, let me stop there, Elisha. Elisha who was Elijah's servant. And when Elijah was getting ready to go, and Elisha says, I want a double portion. I want a double portion. I went to Pastor Bill and I said, is it okay that I ask for a double portion? Because I want a double portion. I want more. I won't be greedy, but I want a double portion. Do you want a double portion this morning? You should. Prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, and this is what women do, they say to their husbands, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us make a little walled up chamber. and Let us set up a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. And it shall be that when he comes to us, that he can turn in there. Hallelujah. A walled up chamber with a bed, a chair, and a lampstand, a candle, if you may. Pastor Bill tells uh, of setting up his basement as a room for Earl Tyson so when he was traveling in the area, he could stay there. And he talks about how he would just show up, usually late at night, spend the night, sometimes be gone the next morning on his way, and the blessings of that. When we moved into our home next to Pastor Bill, my wife Pam insisted on setting up a room over the garage to be a place where we could have for ministry and for visitors. And she said to her husband, you need to get that room done upstairs so we can have people here. And Pastor John Hobbs has stayed there a few times. How many of you know John Hobbs, Pastor Hobbs? Amen. If you stick around long enough, you'll get to meet him here. We've had him over a few times when he was doing ministry in the area. And it's amazing. It's amazing how we got the blessing. I'm telling you, when a person of God is in your presence, there's something wonderful about it. And when they stay in your home, your home is blessed. And I don't know, I don't think we make it up. But when he stays there, we just feel like it's just the peace has come into our home. I pray someday that I might be a blessing like that to someone. Let me pause there for a moment and say that uh, speaking of John Hobbs, I'll interrupt this program just for a moment. Let me share about our ministry here at Union Street. There's being an established an apost uh, apostolic board that will guide and advise and if necessary bring discipline to the leadership here at Union Street. And that board consists of three pastors. That's Pastor Bill Salmon Sr., Pastor Carl Vincent, and Pastor John Hobbs. All three 
have committed to look after the leadership here and also to speak here from the pulpit from time to time to ensure the direction that we are headed brings honor to God and will continue to do so. And so when we establish this and, and everybody wants to know, you know, hey, how are you going to do this? And we basically say well, we're going to step out in faith, but we're not going to do this alone. And if something goes wrong and I lose my mind tomorrow and, and something's not right, then Pastor Bill and Pastor Carl and Pastor John will get together. It'll be someone you could go to and say, hey, you know, Tim's not doing something right. Or the praise team or whomever. And they'll have the opportunity to, to meet and, and decide how best to handle that. And we call that a, an apostolic board. And so we're looking forward to that. And uh, if, you're, if you know these men, you should be looking forward to that about once a quarter, one of them will be speaking here at the pulpit next year. And it's a, it's a blessing. Now back to our story. 2 Kings 4, let's look at verse 11. One day he came there, and this is Elisha, and turned in to the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And, and said to him, Say now to her, Behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. And so what's he saying? He's saying, I want to bless you. I want to do something for you. Shall I speak to the king? He'll give you a place. If I speak to the captain of the army, they'll give you a place. And she says, no, this is my home. And that's how my mama is. She ain't leaving her home till they carry her out. She don't mind me saying it. It's just how it's going to be. Because this is the Shunammite woman's home, and she wants to be with her people. And she answered, I live among my own people. In verse 14, so he said, what then is there to be done for her? And Gehazi, his servant, answered, Truly, she has no son, and her husband is old. Didn't say she was old. Said her husband was old. He said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, At this season next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Indicating that, she wants a son. She wants a son. So don't play around, Elisha. Don't mess with me on this issue. This is important to me. So don't lie. Don't play. And then we see in verse 17 that the woman conceived and bore a son at that season. And the next year as Elisha had said to her, the woman conceived and bore a son. She received a blessing. Verse 18, when the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head, and he said to his servant, carry him to his mother, and when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon and then died, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It will be well. 
Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, there is the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, It is well. When she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came near to push her away, but the man of God said, Let her alone. For her soul is troubled within her, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him. And if anyone salutes you, do not answer him. And lay my staff on the lad's face. And basically he's saying, Don't stop and talk to anyone. Get there quickly. Verse 30, the mother of the lad said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so he arose and he followed her. Then Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the lad's face, but there was no sound or response. So he returned to meet him and told him, The lad has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself on him and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth and went up and stretched himself on him. And the lad sneezed seven times and the lad opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came in to him, he said, Take up your son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground, and she took up her son, and she went out. Hmm. So this unnamed Shunammite woman blesses this prophet, and she is rewarded with a son. She has no son. Verse 17, it says she conceived and bore a son. In verse 18, it says the child was grown. Now today we would think a grown child is about 18 years old, but they're surmising that back then the child was probably about 10, maybe 12, but probably about 10 years old. In other words, he was old enough now to go by himself to his father and begin to help with the harvest. Verse 20. It says, when they handed the child to the mother, he sat on her lap until noon and then died. And that indicates that he probably wasn't so large that she couldn't still hold him, but it was her son. And her son was sick and hurt and dying and dies in her arms. Now from this point on, you're going to see a story of faith. In fact, you're going to see two stories of faith. Both the woman's and Elisha's faith. In verse 21, she went up and she laid on the bed of the man, laid him on the bed of the man of God. The first step that she takes is she doesn't know how she's going to do it, but she's going to get this boy as close to God as she possibly can. Mothers, can you relate? And so she takes him up on the bed and she lays him 
on the bed of the man of God and she shuts the door behind him and she goes out. In verse 22, she calls her husband and says, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. She has a plan. She knows what she's going to do. She has faith. In the words of Pastor Bill, she ain't going to sit down and eat a tater bug and die. She's going to get up and she's going to do something. And she's going to call on the man of God and she's going to call on God himself to help with this situation. And she says, send me one of the servants of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. And then the husband says, why will you go today? It happens in our house. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you as your leader that my wife will see something in the spirit and I have no clue. And she says, maybe we ought to think about this or maybe we ought to do that. And he has no clue here. He doesn't understand. The boy's dead. What are you doing, woman? Why are you going to go see? Why are you going to go see the prophet now? It's not the Sabbath. It's not a new moon. He doesn't understand. But she has a plan. She says to him. In fact, if you look at it, it's italicized. She says to him, "Well," which means okay, which means it will be well which means today we'd say it's going to be okay. She's telling him it's going to be all right. I have a plan. I have a faith. I know a man. I know a God. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. amen. She saddles a donkey. And listen, she saddled the donkey. She does something. She went and did something. She didn't stand there. She is making things happen. You know, faith without works is... Faith without works is... It's not about works. We know that, lest any man should boast. But when the Lord says to Moses, raise up your staff. There's something that's usually that we have a part in. It's God's plan that we have a part in it. He desires a relationship. A relationship is not one-sided. It's two-sided. He has a part. We have a part. She's playing her part. She's saddling a donkey. She will go to the man of God and she says she will return. She is determined. This is serious business. This is her son. He is dead. And she tells him to drive and go forward. When she says drive, she means run. This is basically what she's saying. She's going to be on the donkey. He's going to be running along beside her. And she's saying, I want you to drive this thing. I want you to run. It's not a cart. She's on a donkey. And she tells him though, because she's got some wisdom. Hey, you go as hard as you can go. I'll tell you if it's too much for me. Amen? Sometimes you need to tell your friends, hey, we need to go as hard as we go. I'll tell you when it's too much. Don't stop praying. She saddled a donkey. Drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace unless I tell you to. Verse 25 and 26. So she went and she came to the man of God. And Elisha saw her at a distance and sent his servant Gehazi to meet her. And when he asked about her welfare, she says, it is well. So the first time she says, it will be well. Now she's telling him it is well. But her son is dead. How can this be? What is she saying? It is well. It is well because she knows the man of God and in this case, in the Old Testament, the representation of God. It's different now for us. But back then, get the picture. This is the prophet of the Lord. 
who has the double portion, by the way. And he asks about her welfare, and she says, it is well. In verse 27, it says, when she came to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. Did we not just read a little story earlier when the man with the lunatic son came to Jesus and grabbed hold of his feet? And we learn this. Many times in the New Testament, when they're coming to Jesus, they're at his feet. There's something about us getting down on our knees and praying to a God that saves. You cannot do it without prayer. And she grabs him by his feet. And she caught hold of his feet and she won't let go. Moms, can you relate with your children? You need to catch the feet of Jesus and not let go for their welfare. She came to the man of God hill. She caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone for her soul is troubled within her and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And she tells him again, you gave me a son. Why? What's going on? Tell me what is happening. Then we see Elisha. He gives his servant instructions. We're not sure why he does this. Maybe he believes that if this fellow would just do what he's supposed to do, everything's going to be okay. Maybe he believes that you've been serving me all this time and yet you're powerless. pastor would pray for his family whenever they got sick and the child gets sick and mama would call daddy and say hey he's sick the father would pray for him and the spirit of God would touch him and he would be healed no matter what it was and he shares the story one day at school he's sick and the nurse says, you've got to go home. You're sick. He said, no, just call my daddy. He'll pray for me and I'll be just fine. But they said, no, you've got to go home. So his mama goes and gets him and gets him home. And his daddy says, why didn't you just call me? I could have prayed for you. You'd have been healed. And he said, I told him, daddy, but they wouldn't listen to me. He said, well, all right. A little later on, he's in his teen years. He tells the story that the boy gets swimmer's ear real bad, but he loves the water and he wants to go swimming often. And so every time he does, though, he gets water in his ear. He has a problem. The doctors basically said he's going to go deaf if you keep doing it. <coughs> he gets swimmer's ear. But the boy loves to swim and go swimming. And he calls his daddy and said, hey, I've got a problem. I can't hear again. I'm in trouble. The dad prays for him and nothing happens. The dad hits his knees and he says, God, why? Why are you not healing him this time? All these times you've healed him when I prayed for him, why are you not healed for him? The Lord said it's time he prayed for himself. He was in another state. He raced home to his son, got his son. They got in the bedroom together and they closed the door. And he basically said, son, let me tell you something. You're not healed because... This ain't about me anymore. It's about you and your faith. And God has showed me that you need to cry out to him on your own. And you need to have your own faith. And he says, are you understanding me? Do you hear me? And by this point, the boy's a teenager. Heard his dad preach and pray all his life. So he knows how to do it. 
He just hadn't made it his own yet. But today he was going to make it his own. And he says, yes, Daddy, I know how to pray. And he prays and he's healed. And I think about that here in this story because Gehazi is sent. He says, gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go away. And if you meet any man, don't talk to him. Get there quickly and do what I tell you to do. And he can't do it. And when he gets there, and it makes me wonder also, is he just lacking faith? Is he just serving? Or is he serving to become? And we don't know that. And I'm not trying to judge him. I will tell you he gets in trouble later. If you read on, so you know there's some issue here. I'm talking about Gehazi, the servant. But for whatever reason, it doesn't work. But it's as if the mother knew because she said, Oh, no, I'm not letting go of you. And he said, Okay, I'll go with you. Look at verse 30. Mother of the lad said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he rose and followed her. It says Gehazi went on before him. And guess what? He had zero results. I want to tell you there are times in your life when you may have people praying and get zero results. It doesn't mean we quit praying. It doesn't mean we quit trying. It doesn't mean we lose faith. Sometimes we've got to try things. Sometimes we've got to stay persistent. Sometimes we don't hear from God like we ought to. But we've got to get back down and do it again. 32, when Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. Talking about Elijah's bed. So he entered and he shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. He shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. And we see here a pattern. Some will say Elisha healed this boy and in a sense he did. But if he did, why is he crying out to God? Well, I'll tell you why. Because God's doing the healing. It says he went up and he lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and he stretched himself on him and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth. In fact, I love, I think it's the King James says, he waxed to and fro. He waxed to and fro. We got to start waxing to and fro for people who are lost. That's our duty. That's our job. That's our calling. And he went up and stretched himself on him, and the lad sneezed seven times, and the lad opened his eyes. I have no idea what that means. And I don't even think it's important. But I think it's a representation to say, I'm alive, whatever you just did. We see people get rescued from the ocean, and when they come up, the first thing they do is hurl, or upchuck, or how do you say it nicely, vomit? I don't know. But it doesn't matter. They're coming alive. He sneezes seven times. And opens his eyes. And Elisha calls Gehazi and says, Call the Shunammite. And he called her, and when she came in, he said, Take up your son. Take up your son. And she went in and fell at his feet, bowed herself to the ground, and she took up her son and went out. That's our position with Christ to grab his feet. Elisha aimed at nothing less than the child be brought back to life. Like the Shunammite woman and Elijah, we should want nothing less, not just in the physical, but rather in the spiritual. 
I'm talking about children who are dead in their trespasses and sin. I'm talking about children and adults who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Children who are not born again. Our business is not just to teach our children the Bible or to teach mere morality for our kids or even have them memorize Bible verses, all of which is wonderful and great and part of what we should do. But our calling is, be, is to be the means in the hands of God of bringing life from heaven into dead souls and especially our own children. There needs to be an urgency with this. We live in a time where we have a lot of unsaved folks in this nation and it's growing and growing and growing. And the church needs to get an urgency to it. They, they need to have the message that he said, go and don't talk to anybody. Go and get this done hurriedly, urgently. Resurrection is our aim. It's not that we're here to make good men and women better. The reality of it is they're dead. They're going to hell. They're busting hell wide open, as Pastor Bill would say. They're busting hell wide open. And we're content. We are. I hope this is encouraging you. I'm not trying to be hard. Hear me clearly. We cannot raise the dead. We are, however, no more powerless than Elisha, for he himself could not restore the Shunammite son. Only God could do that. In fact, Charles Spurgeon says this, the man, listen to this, if you write anything down, you might want to write this, the man or woman, the man who lives in the region of faith dwells in the realm of miracles. The man or woman who lives in the region of faith dwells in the realm of miracles. We're in a church today that just doesn't believe in miracles. I don't know how else to say it. They're perfectly content. Going through the motions. And when things happen, well, yeah, you can't do everything, you know. God's in control. Yeah, I guess ultimately God's in control. But he's put a people here on his earth to be family, to help. Yes. The man who lives in the region of faith dwells in the realm of of miracles. Another statement that I've been using lately that I like from Leonard Ravenhill is it says that a man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. Little quirks, little things that we might remember to help us. We want to live in the region of faith. We want to have faith. And we want that faith to produce fruit. And that fruit can be miracles. And the church needs to get a hold of this. Not for the miracle's sake. It's all for the glory of God. Elisha has God's spirit upon him. He's in the Old Testament. God has made him a prophet and put his spirit upon him. In fact, it says he has a double portion of what Elijah had. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. Christ hadn't died and rose again and sent the helper yet. Elisha doesn't have God's spirit in him like we do. Just saying, we are filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? 
Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. We either believe it or not. We either believe we have Christ in us or we don't. And if you don't, stay home. Don't do anything. Don't pray for anybody. This is probably fruitless. Our hope is in nothing less but Christ and His righteousness. This is our example. That we stretch out ourselves on the unsaved. And we wax to and fro. And then we stretch out ourselves again on the unsaved. That they may have life. That they may know God. They may have eternal life, it says. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I want to close this up with chapter 8 real quick. If you could move forward to chapter 8. Because I want to share this roller coaster of a life that this Shunammite woman has. And this will be brief. We'll read 1 through 6 and 8. Now Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go with your household and sojourn wherever you can sojourn. For the Lord has called for a famine, and it will even come on the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of seven years, the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went out to appeal to the king for her house and her for her field. Now what had happened, basically, is she had lost it all. The king had taken it back. It was abandoned. There was no one there for seven years. He said, that's fine. It's empty. I'll take it. And she goes to the king. She's lost it all at this point. And she goes to the king. And she makes an appeal to the king for her house and for her field. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, please relate to me all the great things that Elisha has done. Let me tell you something. People want to hear the great things God has done. By the blood of the Lamb and our testimony, we will overcome. People desire to hear the good news. Oh, they may pretend they don't, or initially they may think they don't, or they may even be evil or mean about it, but trust me, there's a hole in their heart that says, I need to hear from God. And our responsibility as Christians is to share the gospel that they may be born again and partake with us. And he says to him, please relate to me all the great things that Elisha has done. And verse 5, and as he was relating to the king how he had restored to life the one who was dead, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and for her field. And Gehazi said, my lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she related to him, related it to him. And so the king appointed for her a certain officer saying, Restore, say restore, restore all that was hers and all the produce of the field from the day that she left the land even until now. And church, I'm telling you, that's how God is. He's in the restoration business. I've been there when it's all lost and you think it's all gone. And the story of Job ends up getting twice as much. God's in the restoration business and he ain't playing. The earth is his and all, that, and all that it contains. And it's not about stuff and it's not about things. But Lord, the Lord desires for you to have a restoration first and foremost to him. 
And he desires to restore you to whatever it is that needs the restoration. He is in the restoration business. And I love him for it. And I thank God for it. And the things that happen in this story that I want to reiterate is you see a woman serving God. You see God give life. You see this moment of death where the boy's life is taken. And then you see incredible faith of a woman who lays her son on a bed and runs to get the man of God. Today, that would be us running to Jesus. He is the head. And then there's a resurrection. Don't you love resurrections? But then, it says here in chapter 8, now there's famine. God, you do all this, and we've been through all this, and now something else is going on, and i got to go through something else again. But she listens to the man of God, and he go, she goes, and, and she's away for seven years, and she returns, and when she gets back, it's all gone. It's total loss. And then we see in verse 6, Restore all that was hers, and all the produce of the field from the day that she left, and even into now, we see total restoration. That's what I want to encourage you about today. God's in the restoration business. This is, an, this is an, a neat story. And we see it repeated with Peter and Paul in the New Testament in Acts. And the book of Acts, as we know, is unfinished. We're the continuation of it. I don't want to mislead anybody here. It's like a, the priest said. There's two things I know. There's a God and I'm not him. But let me tell you something. We have the power of Christ in us. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us. We are more than mere men and women. And the church has an opportunity to make a difference in our community. Amen? Total restoration. And I'll leave you with this. He makes all things new. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we love, we love these stories. We love the encouragement. And Lord, we see we have a part in it, Lord God. We have to have a faith that's ours, God. Not our grandmoms, not our mamas, but ours. God, we cry out to you today to make us stronger, to make us closer to you, God, to help us with our devotions, to help us pray, to help us call out, to cry out, to know the will and the way that you have for us, God. To fulfill the calling that you've given us, Lord God. We're not just pew sitters or, or sitting on the bench watching the game, but Lord, we're active and in it, and we want to be a part of it. Let us not fail like Gehazi, who probably did not have the faith required, or even like the disciples in the story who, who lacked faith. They got excited about what they were doing and they probably slid away from crying out to you in prayer. But Lord, you never lack faith. You are faithful when we are faithless and we bless you for it and we give you glory for it and we thank you for it. And Lord, we choose to be men and women who are different, Lord God. We desire more in our lives, Lord God. Help us to help restore others. God, help us with our children that we would have an urgency to cry out to you for them, that we would grab your feet and cry out, God, please reach their souls that they may know you. 
Lord, if every mama in this nation would cry out for her children hard today, Lord God, we'd be changed in a week, Father. And Lord, we call and cry out today and say, Lord, help us be a light to this community, to others, to everyone we meet, that we might walk into a store with our Bible in our hand and somebody say, that's a big book. And so, Lord, we bless you and we praise you and we give you glory for it. And we look forward to what you're going to do. And we're not afraid and we're not scared. We have the faith much larger than a mustard seed. And so we say, Lord, show us the mountains that we may move them. We praise you and give you all the glory. And all God's people who are in agreement with that prayer said, Amen. Well, bless you today. Have a great day. And I hope uh, to see you next week if you can come. Bring a friend with you. But we love you and we thank you for coming. And anybody who needs prayer will be up here if you need prayer. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. You know, we would love to invite you to come and visit us in person sometime. If you're ever in our area, you can find us at 415 Union Street in Milton, Delaware, where we have prayer and worship services on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m., Bible study on Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. and a Sunday morning worship service at 10.30 a.m. We would love to minister to your children as well. We offer children's church during the adult service. Children are excused to go back to their classes right after the worship time. You can also find more information about us on the web at unionstreetmeetinghouse.org or on Facebook at Union Street Meeting House. So we look forward to sharing the message with you next week. Hope you'll return to this podcast. Thank you so much and God bless you.